How could he do it? Why would he do it? It's what I was asking myself this week as I was reading several uh, articles from, from uh, the news. Uh, the first one uh, I read was an Illinois man punched and kicked a grocery bagger with Asperger's. How could he do it? Why would he do it? It's what I asked myself as I read the article of a 52-year-old man who worked for NASA who shot and killed his 24-year-old neighbor right in the front yard. Uh, apparently they'd been arguing for years and the 52-year-old man did not like the fact that the 24-year-old let his dog go onto his property and use bathroom. And so an ar argument after argument finally boiled over to him shooting his 24-year-old uh, neighbor right in front of the 24-year-old neighbor's wife. How could he do it? Why would he do it? How could she do it? Why would she do it? It's what I asked myself when I read the article of a Philadelphia woman who got angry at a restaurant because they didn't put enough uh, Philly cheesesteak in her Philly cheesesteak sandwich. And so she got mad, went up to the counter, took the glass tip jar, threw it at the employee, and then took a broomstick and beat the employee. Why would she do it? How could she do it? But maybe the question that we want to ask ourselves today is how do I not do that? How do I not do those things? Because the reality is every sin resides in our heart, just like theirs. They did not grow up and when they were little kids think to themselves, you know what, I'm going to grow up one day and I'm going to beat up a guy who has Asperger's. They did not grow up thinking, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to grow up, at, be an adult, and shoot my 24-year-old neighbor. As they were growing up, they did not think that I'm going to grow up and throw a glass tip jar at somebody and beat them with a broomstick. But it happens. How could they do it? Why would they do it? Better question, how do we not do it? How do we avoid these things? This is what we're going to focus on today as we, looked, as we continue in our series called Unhooked and we look at the lure called self-reliance. We're looking at the different lures that Satan uses to tempt us, to get us to fall into sin, to hook us uh, and drag us to hell. And one of them is self-reliance. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 4 today uh, for uh, how Satan uses this one, why he uses it, and how our God is an amazing God who comes and pursues us. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3. We left Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They had sinned. Uh, the devil threw out his lure of wanting more. And he got Adam and Eve to focus on that fruit on the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from this tree. Any other tree they could eat from. They were literally the most free human beings ever. Uh, because you and I, we have all kinds of laws and commandments. They had one. Don't eat from this tree. And the purpose of that was they were able to say to God, God, I love you more than this tree. But Satan threw out his lure of wanting more. And they looked at that fruit and they said, well, maybe God's not as good as I thought God was. And they ate from it. And it introduced sin into the world, death into the world. It introduced all kinds of broken relationships in the world. And as we turn the page to Genesis chapter 4, what do we see? 
we're going to see that sin and the effect it has on people. Genesis chapter 4, here we go, beginning with verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. All right, so Adam and Eve get kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and we're told that they have two sons, Cain and Abel. Were they the first sons? First kids? We don't know. Uh, we know that they had many kids, and Cain and Abel were two of them. What do we know about Cain and Abel? Number one, they're raised in a Christian household, right? Adam and Eve, they know the promise of God from Genesis 3.15 that God was going to send somebody from the woman's line to undo everything that had been done. Adam and Eve pass this along to their kids. They pass it along. This is what God has promised to us. Raised in Christian household. Number two, is there productive people of society? Abel has a job as a shepherd. Cain has a job as a farmer. Cain works the soil. He works the crops. Adam is a shepherd. And number three, they're both church-going guys. This isn't a story of, of, of one, Abel, being a church-going guy, volunteers with the youth, good upstanding citizen, while the other one, Cain, is a low-life drug addict, never is going to amount to anything, and we knew it from when he was a kid. No. They're both church-going guys, and how do we know? Both bring an offering to the Lord. Somehow, whatever their church looked like, they brought an offering to the Lord. Both of them did. And what are we told? Abel brings the firstborn of his flock. And so what, what we have is Abel has all his flocks. They start giving birth to baby sheep, baby goat. Uh, and what does he do? Firstborns immediately go to the Lord as a sacrifice. He didn't wait to see how many sheep or, or, or lamb and goats he had, then make the choice. He didn't see how many were healthy and not. No, the firstborn immediately to the Lord. Cain also brought an offering to the Lord. But Cain's was more like this. He, he harvested his, his crops. He looked at how many good crops he had, how many bad crops he had, and he gave some of the good crops. They both go to church, they make an offering, and yet what are we told? The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Is God really interested in what they brought? No, and here's why. The New Testament sheds light on why God looked with favor on Abel's. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. It seems that even though both believed in God, both knew God existed, Abel had faith, trust in God's promises, while Cain didn't. Which is just crazy. Because Cain talks with God. Cain knows God exists, and yet he doesn't trust God's promises. <coughs> Abel 
does. And that's why God looks with favor on Abel's offering. It comes from a heart of faith. God doesn't look with favor on Cain's offering, and how does Cain respond? He's very angry, and his face is downcast. And God approaches him. Here's what he says. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God approaches Cain and he asks him several questions. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? When God asks a question, it's not for himself. God already knows the answer. The question is for the hearer. Search your heart, Cain. Why are you angry? Think about it. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast, Cain? <clears throat> Why are you angry? Don't be angry at me, Cain. The problem's not with me. Don't be angry at Abel. It's not his problem. This is your problem, Cain. This is a heart issue for you. Search it. Think about your ways. And then look what he says. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain, on the front porch of your heart, the door to your heart, sin is crouching. Bitterness, anger, jealousy, it's crouching. Get rid of it. Run from it. Swim from it. Shoo it off the front porch. Make it go away. You must rule over it. And right as God is saying this, guess what all of a sudden comes in? <laughs> Satan's lure of self-reliance. It's okay, Cain. It's no big deal. A little bitterness is no problem. A little anger is no big deal. Besides, doesn't it feel good to kind of stew on it a little bit? Doesn't it give you a little adrenaline to stew on these feelings and harbor them just a little bit? Just let them hang out. You've got power over it. You've got control over it. You're not going to let it get out of control. It's just a little bit of bitter bitterness, a little bit of anger, and a little bit of jealousy. It's no problem. You've got it. While God is telling Cain to run, Satan is telling him, you can handle it. He's puffing up his ego. And Cain lets it hang out. Cain lets these sins crouch on his door, and here's what happens. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The very first murder was in the very first family. It wasn't enemy against enemy, it was brother against brother. And I wonder, as Adam and Eve buried their son Abel, if through the sobs they asked, how could he do it? Why would he do it? You see, none of us grow up thinking we're going to kill our brother. Cain didn't either. But this, these things happen when, and it's your first point this morning, when we overestimate our power and underestimate sin's power. Sin happens when we overestimate our power and underestimate <coughs> sin's power. And this is really Cain's problem. He's got control over it. 
He's got power over it. He can fight it. And so he lets it stick around on the front porch of his heart. And then the sin grows and grows and grows and pounces. And he leads Cain or Abel out to the field where he kills him. There's a story, of uh, a true story, of a woman named Sandy Harold. Anybody recognize that name? Sandy Harold, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, wanted a pet. But she had no kids, and so she wanted a pet that seemed kind of humanish. And so what'd she do? She adopted a baby chimp, baby chimpanzee. Raised it as her own, raised it like a kid. It sat and watched TV with her. She put human clothes on it. They would go out to the park together. They'd go to the store together. Uh, she trained it so that it could use the remote and watch TV. Well, one day, Sandy's friend Charlotte came over and they were sitting with this now 200-pound chimpanzee and the chip pounced and literally ripped her face off, tore her nose off, tore her ears off, uh, tore her hands off, uh, tore her eyelids off. She had to have a face transplant and has had all kinds of problems since. And Sandy could do nothing but watch as this 200-pound chimp ripped apart her friend because she thought she had control over it. She thought she had power over it, but the chimp pounced, just like chimps do. This is the nature of sin. It gets us to think we have control, think we have power, but really sin is no match, or we are no match for sin. And when the opportune time comes, sin pounces, no matter how big or how small. So what sin is crouching at your door this morning? What sin is on the front porch of your heart that you think you have power and control over? Is it bitterness like Cain? Bitterness that, that says, he did this to me, she said this to me. Bitterness that's there because someone did something to you that they don't even know they did, but you know. And you let that bitterness hang out on the front porch of your heart because it's not going to hurt anybody. And then one day you open that door to your heart and it creeps in and sits on your couch of your, of your heart. And it grows and grows. And it goes from bitterness to anger to hatred. And now every time you see that person, all you can think of is how much you hate that person. And, and anytime somebody mentions their name, hatred just spews out of your mouth as you just tear that person down. And people look at you and say, how, how did you get to be this way? Why, why are you so angry? Why are you so hateful? How are you such a bitter person? How? It's because a little bit of bitterness crouched at your door and you didn't shoo it away. Or maybe it's lust. It's no big deal. It's just a little bit of lust. It's not hurting anybody. It's just in my head. It's not hurting them. It's not hurting me. But then the lust comes in and grows and grows. And next thing you know, what was just thoughts? turns into clicking one site to the next until soon you're down a hole that you know you shouldn't be uh, watching, that you shouldn't be looking at. In fact, it's not only against God's law, it's against the government's law and you could be arrested for it. Why did you do it? How did you get here? It's because it started with a little bit of lust that you didn't want to get off the front porch of your heart. And it grew and grew and grew. 
until it pounced. What sin is crouching at the door of your heart? Maybe even a more penetrating question. What sin has already ruled over you and mastered you? Is it pride that puts you up on a pedestal thinking that you're always right and never wrong? Is it pride that uh, has made you judgmental thinking that you're better than everyone else and that uh, anyone else who disagrees with you is foolish? Is it worry? Worry that God's not going to keep His promises and so you don't trust it and so you stay up all through the night worried about the future? Is it greed? The greed for wanting more that you chalk up to uh, just being good with my money. What is it that is crouching at your door? Know that no matter how big or how small that sin is, it can look really small and you can think you have control over and power over it. No. No that the nature of sin is to crouch and to pounce. And if we under, overestimate our power and underestimate sin's power, we will be taken over. We will. And then people will be looking at us saying, how could they do it? Why would they do it? As sin leaves its victims in its path. This is Cain's problem. This is what happened with Cain. He let the bitterness, he let the anger stick around and it grew and pounced and took Abel out and he killed him. And yet look what God does. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on earth. Notice, how does God approach Cain again? With a question. This whole time, sin has been pursuing Cain, but God continues to pursue Cain as well. It's your second point. Sin's desire for you is strong, God's desire is stronger and God continues to come. Even after Cain kills his brother Abel, God doesn't write him off. Instead, what does God do? Pursue him. And he asks him a question. Again, not because God doesn't know. God knows exactly what happened. But he says, Cain, where's your brother Abel? What's he hoping Cain to do? Repent. Be sorry. Turn from your ways. Confess what you did. And if he did, what would God do? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. But Cain doubles down. He says, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he's at. And so God says, fine, you don't want to confess? Your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. What's it crying out for? Justice. And here's justice. You're going to be a restless wanderer. The crops will no longer yield for you and you are under a curse, Cain. This is true of everyone who sins and is unrepentant. Sins who, who has the same attitude as Cain. Because the reality is, all of us have blood on our hands. It's not Abel's blood. It's Jesus' blood. And here's what Jesus' blood, uh, we're told about Jesus' blood in Hebrews chapter 12. 
uh, picking up in that first full sentence. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cried out from the grave, from the ground, for justice. What does Jesus' blood cry out? A better word. On the cross, shed blood cried out, forgive them. Forgive them. But forgiveness doesn't come without justice. You see, Jesus isn't up in heaven, and and he doesn't look down and say, Father, Stephen Apps sinned again. Uh, Do you think you could forgive him one more time? No. Jesus approaches God and says, Father, Stephen Apt has sinned once again, but you need to be just. And what's justice? Forgiving him. Because I paid for that sin. And so if you charge him again, if if you make him pay for the, the price for that sin, then you're charging two people for one sin. I've taken the punishment. My blood has been shed. He's off the hook. He's forgiven. This is what Jesus' blood cries out for you too. He cries out that God be just. And what is just? That He charged Jesus with all of your sins. And when He shed His blood, you're forgiven. This is what Jesus' blood cries out for you and for me. God's sin's desire for us is strong, but God's is stronger. And every time we fall into sin, every time we get hooked on this temptation... God pursues us and He wants to announce to us that our sins are forgiven. He wants us to turn, confess, so that He can tell us, Jesus' blood cries out, forgiven. So what lessons do we learn? What are we taking from here? What are we taking from Cain and Abel? First of all, let's not overestimate our power. No matter how small sin seems, shoo it away. Swim to the other side. Don't build a doghouse on the porch of your heart to store these little sins because they will grow to become bigger. Shoo them away. And then turn to your Savior Jesus. Turn to Him who continues to cry out for you that you are forgiven. Turn to Him and you will never be hooked. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank you that you came and lived for us, that you lived perfectly in our place and that you died. And when you shed your blood for us on the cross, your blood cries out, forgiven. We thank you that you have unhooked us from Satan's temptations. And we ask that uh, as we live our life, that you send your Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to guide us, to lead us, that we may always know that no matter how small the sin that we may turn and swim uh, to the other end uh, of the pond, to swim away from it uh, so that we never fall into temptation, that it can never pounce on any of us. Be with us today and always as we live lives for you. Amen.